and we're back. Episode 33, Let's Talk About God. Really? 33. We're we here. have done 32 episodes. Yeah. We're going to have to do something special for like the 50th one or something. Oh, yeah. The golden anniversary yeah. of Let's Talk About God. L tag. Like, like a fun guest on or something like that. Do something interesting. We need our listeners to know that we call it lovingly. L tag. L tag. L tag. <laughs> Easier let's, than saying, let's talk about God. Let's talk about God. L tag. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I, that's hard to believe that we've been doing this that long. I know. And thank you for our kind of our consistent audience here. Thanks for all the people that send me texts and stuff because it's kind of hard to gauge. You know, you look at SoundCloud and it tells you you had X amount of listens, but you don't know if that's like an actual person or like a Russian robot. <laughs> so thanks to those of you who text me and just let you know that you liked a certain episode or just that you're listening or whatever. And, you know, we're just doing this for y'all. We want to help you out and we love talking about God. And yeah, we're incredibly humbled by the fact that anybody would want to listen to us and um, we're having fun. Oh, yeah. This, I know you and I've talked about it. We, we kind of look forward to this day. Yeah. It's only once a month. Still. Because, but we get in here in our, um, in our secluded, uh, in our fancy studio, studio here, here at Not. church, <laughs> and uh, and we we get in here and and for however many hours to do this, and and it's always kind of like a highlight for me. Yeah, it's one of the, like my most favorite things that I do, just because yeah. you just get to learn. Like I feel like I'm learning. Yeah, me too, and I love theology. Same, and the and the people, our listeners, need to know in preparation for this. It we spend a lot of time. I know you do. You 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 kind of set up our format every mm. every month, and uh, I love it because it it makes me then get back into systematic theology. So yeah. I'm 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 just grilling and pouring over notes. Kind of sharpens you up a little bit, yeah. don't you think? It really does. It. Yeah, yeah. and like you, I'm I learn some things. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, and I think today's podcast and uh, the next podcast is going to be really good because last month we did the incommunicable mm-hmm. attributes of God, which yeah. is so richly theological. But today we're going to talk about the communicable attributes of God, which we can identify with because I know I'm getting God ahead of ourselves. Right. And so there, there's something that we can now say, okay, this can actually apply to my life directly. Thirty-second definition. We do this every episode. Give me your thirty-second definition of God's incommunicable attributes. Okay, so I, this is what I got out of a systematic theology book. I, I, actually, I got it from a graduate-level class that I took mm-hmm. for systematic theology. Uh, my professor said this: the communicable, the communicable attributes are those qualities of God for which at least a partial counterpart can be found in mankind. That's good. Okay, so a simpler way to say it is the communicable attributes of God are able to be transmitted from God to a human being. Yeah. So where the incommunicable ones, like his all power, all knowing, mm-hmm. being always present, eternal, Eternality, never changing, yeah. we can't do that. Mm-hmm. You have to be a divine being. But what we're going to talk about today, those qualities and attributes of God that are communicable, we can have those things. Now, we're not going to be like God. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay, for example, we're not going to talk about this, but God is, we could, because, you know, we can only do so many. So I know for these two podcasts, yeah. we've picked so, but like, 
the wisdom of God. God is wise. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can be wise. The Bible tells you to be, but I'm not going to be wise like God. Yeah. I would say that maybe a, a, an important clarification for what we're talking about today is God's moral attributes. There you go. So we, you know, if you want to go as literal as possible, you're right. Communicable could be God's wisdom, God's knowledge, things like that that we technically share in to a partial degree. Today we're talking about more God's moral attributes, what has to do with his moral character and his morality right. that shapes us and guides us. So, Absolutely. Um, so but, what's yours? Um, so mine was, mine was real simple, similar, simple. I said God's incommunicable slash moral attributes are those attributes with which humanity, being created in the image of God, can share in, though not to a perfect degree. I know you didn't mean to do this, but not not incommunicable. Oh, I did. I put it wrong. Communicable. communicable. So we don't Sorry. we don't want to we don't want anybody out there go. Wait a minute. Which which one is it, guys? I'm stuck but, in last yeah. month. Yeah. yeah, God's moral attributes. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I mean. So, and I, I I think that's important when speaking about the image of God. That there's something unique that we can share in in these things because we're not animals. You know, we're, we're something else. We're, we're designated to steward God's kingdom and to represent him faithfully on the earth, which is going to include his morality. And I think this is part of that whole creation of mankind issue where we were made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Did you just say that? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I was talking about. I was that's looking kind of at the my foundation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, that, so I think you're right there. I think that's probably key mm-hmm. for what you just said is key is that that's how we can at least partially uh, be able to to connect with God. These are ways we're going to be able to connect with God. And just to help our listeners today, because you say, you know, you guys communicable as five syllables. <laughs> you ever heard of communicable diseases? So I maybe have. Oh yeah. yeah. So that's that's a common thing. Or just you, think communication. You talk about right. that all the time. It's delivering. You know, a message to Tran- someone else. Transmitting. Yeah. So, you know, transmittable diseases, communicable diseases or yeah. diseases that can be trans. And, you know, we've just been in this COVID-19. Thing. There you go. I know we're in June, so we're, we're thank God we're getting away from this. Mm-hmm. And But, uh, you know, the COVID-19 was a communicable disease. Yeah. See, it could be transmitted from one person to another. So that might help our listeners with a little analogy to say that's what we're talking about. These are things, mm-hmm. attributes of God that can be transmitted. And I think with us being redeemed or born again, so, so can just mankind have some of these? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, it's it's very obvious, even sinful people do good things. And love. Yeah. You know, we're talking about love today. And, uh, and so, and, but I think when you see the fullness of the transmission Mm -hmm. of these qualities, it obviously comes through people who have been redeemed, born again, and who are in Christ and our children of God. And I would say you're growing in these things. A lot of what you're going to see are fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about. So some of these you're going to recognize him as kind of adding that to that list. So a lot of these things are born in you by the Holy Spirit and that you're growing to into in a greater degree because you've been born again. And yeah. I, I would say that's why today's episode, when we're, we're about to get into it, um, is so important because these are things that you know, in a sense, you were made for because you were made to reflect God's image. You were made for this. We should be growing in this. You've been redeemed for this. And so what we're talking about today is who God is, but it's also who we are called to be called in to the be. same way by his grace. Right. So these are something we should strive for, mm-hmm. something that the Holy Spirit is going to develop within us. These characteristics or attributes, if you're born again, mm-hmm. should be 
evident in your life and and should be developing in your life. So that's a great point, yeah, Evan. All absolutely. Right, so where are we going to start today? So let's start with holiness. Okay. And everything that we're going to talk about today is really going to be connected or build off of God's holiness in some way or another. And I would even say that God's holiness is kind of a it's, it's almost sort of the ground floor for a lot of these attributes for God. And, and what I mean is that a lot of them are filtered through his holiness, that we see them in light of his holiness. They're so foundational. So um, here, here are several things because God's holiness is so multifaceted and big. God is holy in the sense that he is majestic and far above all his creatures in greatness. We can't share in this. This is not a moral attribute, but that is one aspect we want to get that out of the way. But here's something we can share in. God is completely set apart. He has no impurity in him at all. He is utterly unique and absolutely pure. Now let's start, let's stop there rather. We obviously will never become utterly unique, but we can be set apart and become pure. That sense of holiness in um, maybe not so much as a positive sense, but a negative sense that we are retracted and separated and different from sinful humanity from the rest of the world. That would be God's holiness. Yeah. And, and you know, my systematic mind, and you're right there, you've done it. So for our listeners, let's just stop one second and, and, and you're there. And I, I mean, I've got your notes and my notes. Let's just stop right there. There are two just like a coin, just like a quarter, there are two sides to that quarter. Mm-hmm. There are two sides, essentially, to the holiness of God, and mm-hmm. you've touched on both of them. One is that the, the Hebrew word and the Greek word both talk about being cut mm. and to be separated. So there's a cutting, and so you're cutting something and setting it apart from the, the rest. And that's what it's talking about, is that God is set apart from the rest of creation. So thus what you're talking about, his uniqueness. Mm-hmm. I like to term it um, that he is completely separate or distinct from all of creation. I, yeah. I use some verbiage that maybe our listeners will, will like, that yeah. may resonate, is that he is he is distinct from mm-hmm. everyone else in creation, everything, that he is other than yeah. what we are. Yeah. So that's what we talk about when we say, Holy, holy, holy. And we sing about the holiness of God. Holy, there is no one like you. There is no one like you. Yeah, Yeah, that's a contemporary song. And um, and there used to be an older song is there's no God like Jehovah. You know, back in the the 80s or 90s, whatever, 2000s, they sang there's no God. Well, that's the point is there's no God like Jehovah. The Bible says that. So that's that's definition one. Definition two is that so so he's unique. He's one of a kind. One of a kind. Mm-hmm. There's not we another can't like, share in that. That's right, not a- can't share in that. But number two, you have the ab- so it's kind of a negative positive. The holiness of God means there is the absence of evil. Mm-hmm. There is no sin in God. On the positive side, it means that He is absolutely pure. He's absolutely good, and He's unable to be stained by sin. Yeah, and and like you, I'm right there with you. I totally agree that yeah, I can't be a one of a kind, but. I can be like the one of a kind. Yeah. I, I want to be a copy of the one of a kind. And God wants me to be a copy of the one of a kind. Well, let's talk about that. Something happened. At the scripture citation wasn't there. I'm sorry about that. I think something messed up in the printing, or maybe I did it. But the Lord says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. That's 
somewhere in the Pentateuch, I believe Deuteronomy, something like Leviticus, that. I Leviticus, think. maybe. I'm sorry yeah. about the reference. But that's what God tells his people. Be holy for I am holy. That we are here to reflect our Savior, our Creator, our God. And like you said, we can't be utterly unique, but we can strive towards the standard, which is God. Yeah, and this is carried over into the New Testament Mm -hmm. because I think it was the Apostle Peter who quotes that passage and says, be holy even as I am holy. And so that's something that's very important. I noticed that you and I must have been reading out of one of the same books uh, because I love the analogy, and I, I see in your notes you have it, that what does it mean to be healthy? Yeah. And there's two sides of that. It's the absence of illness or disease, but it's also the infusion of positive energy. When I'm healthy, that I'm energetic, I've got mm-hmm. – so it's both. And I think it's the same thing um, is that you have the absence of sin, but you also have the power, the positive energy and power of God in your life motivating you to live right, mm-hmm. serve God, and obey God. And so I think that's really more important. I do think that this is an important contrast um, – if you study, and a lot of our listeners in school may have studied the, um, the Roman gods or the Greek mythology, mm-hmm. uh, and even when you get into um, s- some of the other world religions, those gods, which we would consider obviously false gods, they're not real. Mm-hmm. B- but in in the story, in their narrative, their religious narrative, they would engage in sinful acts. Yeah, they're very messed up. Right. Whereas the God of the Bible is unique. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the holiness of God is unique in that. Uh, So these two kind of go together. His uniqueness is that he doesn't engage in sinful Mm -hmm. acts, but actually is set apart from sin, lives above sin, defines goodness. We'll get into that in another trait. Mm -hmm. And uh, and is the standard for what is right, which we're going to get into some of all this later. So the whole, you're right, the holiness of God is a tremendously important. It's it's one of the keys, and a lot of theologians talk about um, that it's almost pervasive in that it sets the tone for everything else, in, in that because God is unique and there is no one like him, then um, every trait about him is holy. Yeah, you, talk, you can talk about a holy love, a holy grace, you know, a holy goodness. That, yeah, because it is so unique, you almost have to add that word holy to slightly do justice yeah, or to, to it. To, to define it. Because or de- even the height it. of human goodness or the height of human righteousness or love or whatever is still miles apart from God's holy love, holy righteousness, you know, whatever else you want to say. It is that grand. Yeah, perfect. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, so, yeah, that's those are really, really good thoughts. I guess now just is, and we ought to do this, is, the application, what does that mean? Well, I think we follow what the Lord said and what the Apostle Peter quoted, be holy for I am holy. I think we have a job to view God's holiness. I think we have a job to understand God's holiness, but then we're called to be that. God has called us out of this world. That You know, I know it's so cheesy, but we're in this world, but we're not of this world. You know, you hear that a lot. But man, it's true that there's supposed to be something about the way that you live, the way that you treat people, the way that you do life, that it is other than the standard of the world. And so I think for us that we have to look at every facet of our life, take that concept of holiness being pervasive, and then ask, is what I'm doing holy? 
is it set apart? Is the way I'm loving my spouse a holy love or does it look more like, you know, whatever I see on TV or what the world, you know, is doing? Is the way I work, is it a holy work working unto God for his glory or is it a lazy work just living for the weekend? You know what I mean? That we take every single part of our life, we add holy to it and go, look how that shifts and changes it. Does my life live up to it? And then we say, my whole reason for existing, for being born and then reborn in Christ is to grow more and more and more into this holiness, for that's the reason that I was created. And true, purpose, happiness, satisfaction, and everything else is found in growing in this measure in holiness. And we're going to talk about this, uh, I think, in another episode. And to, to be clear, we're not talking about hard-knuckled legalism. We're talking about like God's grace assisting you every day to grow in this. This is not something that you can't attain, but when God says, be holy, he asks you to do that because you can through his Yeah, I've always said, God, I'll never ask you to do something you can't do. Yeah, that's right. And so sometimes what we make it is seems unattainable, Mm -hmm. but it's because we've made it what God didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, let me give you my applications if I can. Yeah. Uh, I think number one, if you look at the holiness of God, you understand that sin separates the sinner from a holy God. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. So people who are in sin cannot reach God. That's why God has to reach you. Mm-hmm. That's why Jesus Christ came to die on the cross. But the holiness of God helps us to understand that. Okay, I'm in sin. I can't have an understanding. Me and God have a me and God have a thing. We have an understanding. You know, I've heard people say it's like, no, you know, you don't have an understanding. The understanding is you're you're unholy, he's holy, and there's a chasm between you yeah. two. Okay. And he's the only one that can come to you. Mm-hmm. Uh the second thing is um God's holiness will make a sinner sensitive to his own sin. So this is why the holiness of God is important. Because if you try to compare yourself to other people. Okay, then you can make you can find something bad in them enough to say, well, they're no better than me. Yeah, or I'm a whole lot better than them. <laughs> yeah, or I'm a whole lot better. I'm not a serial killer. I've heard people, I'm not a serial killer, so yeah, I'm a pretty good I'm not person. Hitler, I've heard that. Yeah, I'm not Hitler, so I'm a really good person. But once you compare yourself to the ultimate standard, the only standard, which is God, mm-hmm. and you see him in his holiness, you will get sensitive to your sin. So there's a couple examples of that. One that's classic is Isaiah 6, when Isaiah the prophet who was who was putting woe on everybody else? Woe to this nation! Woe to this! He's operating in that prophetic, mm. you know. Man, he's really feeling it. Well, then he has an image, a vision rather, of being in the presence of God, and there are these seraphim flying around, these angelic beings crying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty! The whole earth is full of His glory." And instead of having a you know Holy Ghost fit and shouting all over the place <laughs> and saying, "Woo, hallelujah! I'm in the presence <laughs> of a holy God," the Bible says Isaiah said, "When I when I saw Him." Uh, I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the, in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king of glory. Yeah. When he saw God in his holiness, it didn't matter that he was a preacher. It doesn't matter he was a prophet. He was a statesman prophet. He, he walked in and out of the courts of kings, mm. but he started confessing his sin, mm. and, and God purged him because evidently he's crazy. Even though he was a preacher, he had a bad mouth. Yeah. He said, my, uh, you know, my lips, and God actually touched his lips and purged them. And so that's what will happen. Another one is in, I think it's Luke 5, where Peter and the disciples were in a boat, and, um, and Jesus told them 
was stood on the shore and he said, throw out your net on the right side. And when they did, they cut all these fish and they realized it was Jesus. And when they got to the shore, Peter jumped out of the boat, left the fish in the boat with the other disciples, ran to the shore, fell on his knees and said, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Mm. So he, that, that moment of, of only, only Jesus could be God to actually say there are fish. I'm going to make fish come in your net. It was a God moment. It was a miracle. Mm. And he saw God and, the, and that this man is not a carpenter. He's not just some prophet. He is the Messiah. And, and Peter got under conviction wow. and confessed. So we need the holiness of God. We don't need to dumb down or familiarize God, but we need to let him be the righteous, awesome, pure, sinless being that he is. And, and, and we get into his presence. Which now I'm like you. The third application I have is that, and I'm going to use this phrase: holiness is the believer's standard for living. Mm-hmm. So if you drop your standard below God's standard, you have a substandard. Yeah, is that good? Yeah, I like that. You need to write that down. Yeah, if you drop your standard below God's standard, you have a substandard. Yeah, and you don't want to live by substandard. You're not called. So just as you said, God says, "Be holy, even as I am holy." And so that means to be uniquely different from the world because you are born again and strive to live above sin and obey God. And, and you've already touched on this, but I want to say this. When, when I was in sin, I was, I, was, I was sinful. I was like other sinners. When I was in the world, I was worldly, and I was like the world. Okay, when God saved me, he brought me out of sin, and he brought me out of the world. I'm still in the world, but I'm not of the world, as you stated, and mm-hmm. Jesus said that. So here's the thing. That's my uniqueness. And people who try to get saved and then see how much they can still be like their sinner friends or live like the world. Where's they, the line? Where's yeah, where, the and line? they're always asking, where's the line? How close can I live to the world? That's a great point because a lot of teenagers do that. Yeah. Where's the, how, how, what can I do yeah. and still be all right with God? <laughs> That's not holiness. Holiness goes, looks the other way and is, is how far away can I get away from the line? Mm-hmm. Now, you don't want to be legalistic. We talked about that in another episode, but in, in purity, authenticity, in genuine walking intimacy with God and living right, how far away can I get away from the line? I've been, I've been called out of that. Yeah. Because, you know, that's part of what our theology is, that we are the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church. Yeah. We're called out. We are saints. We are holy We are ones. holy. That's, that's what, what saints mean. Saints means holy ones. Yeah. To, Paul would write to the saints in Ephesus, and he was saying to the holy people living in Ephesus. So... There's a standard that God set for us, and we need to live by that standard. And, and I would say even, too, like, you might be thinking right now, yeah, right, I'm a saint. Like, God calls the Corinthian church the church, the body of Christ, the holy ones. That church was jacked up. Yep. Your new reality is to say, I'm a saint, and now I live up to my new identity, not to the world. So we live up to what God calls us in Christ. We live up to who he says we are. That should be your standard He's the, he's the standard, right. So I think there should be a mindset that says, okay, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. All right, great. But you got to go further than that. Is I am not who I used to be. I am not what I used to be. I've got to live like it. I got to talk like it. I got to act like it. And when you really get saved, you either saved or you're not. Mm-hmm. When you get saved, nobody has to walk around saying, you need to change this. You need to do that. You will know the Holy Spirit inside. You'll know. You're like, I don't want to do those things anymore. Yeah. I'm going to stop doing those things. Now, if you have a bondage in your life, you may have to have some help getting some deliverance from that bondage. But but anyway, I just I just think like, you know, Paul said in Ephesians 2, 
And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's the uniqueness. I'm alive. I was dead. See, that, that's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. You're unique. You're yeah. set apart in which you once once walked, not anymore. See the change? Mm-hmm. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also, we all once, once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together with Christ, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are now his workmanship. We're, we're something mm. brand new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. So get in your mind. I am something different, set yeah. apart. Okay? And that's why when I live in this world, I'm not of this world, and holiness will get you persecuted as quick as anything. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And if you're not getting persecuted because you're taking a stand and because you're talking right, living right, thinking right, making right decisions, if you're not getting persecuted, then there's that ought to make you worried. Yeah. At work, somebody ought to be giving you grief. Somebody, if you have people in your home that are not saved, because when you live holy, it, it will it will invite oppression from people because what what happens what happens with you is if when you're living right and we're not perfect, okay, but when you're living right and reflecting the holiness of God and you're showing people I'm not what I used to be, God has changed me. I'm still in process. I don't always get it right. But people in sin, it it does the just like it contrasted when you got in with a holy God and you, you were so sensitive to your sin. Sinful people get around you and it'll mm-hmm. contrast and they'll persecute you and they'll pick on you and they'll because you make them look bad. You make them aware of their sinfulness. Mm-hmm. You're saying, "Well, I don't mean to do that." That's not the point. The darkness you're, hates the light, right? And it's not your light; it's Jesus' light shining through you. And it's not your holiness; it's His holiness because it's communicated mm-hmm. to you. And it's his holiness shining through you. This is rich stuff. That's good. I like it. Yeah. I would say too, and this is more practical, maybe on like a devotional standpoint. um, This is just something that I've enjoyed doing and that I think shapes the way we think is in some way incorporate dwelling, thinking, praying about the holiness of God in your prayers. And here's what I mean. Just like you mentioned in Isaiah, and then we fast forward to Revelation, what are the angels and the saints always singing? Holy, holy, holy holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like this is the song of all creation for eternity. And so I would encourage you, maybe you just start off and end your prayers with, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And just keep going. Maybe you dwell on God's holiness for one minute. Maybe you just go to Revelation and read that passage. Like, I would just encourage you to get in that mindset where every day you're reminding yourself God is holy. Maybe you even read that verse we quoted, you know, be holy, there, be, you know, for I am holy. Just sort of making that decision every day that I'm going to remind myself who God is and I'm going to join with the saints and angels and sing God's holiness because the scripture puts a prime importance on this. And I think it will develop and shape us in our daily life. Do you want to go to heaven? Absolutely. Okay. Listeners out there, do you want to go to heaven? Do you plan to go to heaven? Let me read you Ephesians 5, 25 or 26. Well, I'll just read 25. It's husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her or set her apart. Mm-hmm. It's the same word. Sanctify and holy are the similar words in the Bible. 
set her apart and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Get ready now. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Here it is. But that she should be holy and without blemish. Mm. He's coming back for a holy people. The author Was it the author of Hebrews who said to walk in the holiness without which no one will see the Lord? Yeah, is follow peace him? with all men in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Yeah. There is a standard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> there that's is good. a standard to follow. Well, let's jump on sort of a very much connected attribute of God uh, that seems like the same, but it's not, um, called the righteousness of God. And, and, and so here's what I think um, is, is the best way to picture this, is that if holiness is, we'll say, primarily right purity, the absence of evil, though we've talked about a positive aspect, righteousness is primarily sort of the positive aspect of God's purity in the sense that um, holiness is being separate from the world. Righteousness is maybe more God's active justice, that he actively in all of his actions acts justly, rightly, with goodness, with equity. Um, he does everything right. It has to do with you know law, morality, justice, and everything mm-hmm. he does, he is positively right. God's nature doesn't violate any kind of law. God never does anything wrong, and God will never interact with creation um, in any way that violates morality and justice. He is the standard, and he always lives up to, to the standard of what is absolutely perfect and absolutely morally right. Does that make sense? I know it's a it's a small disting you know it's a small distinguishing, um, but it's more of that active sense. God always acts rightly, justly, purely, morally. He lives up to his own standard in everything that he does. Yeah, yeah. It's not just that he's passively. It's not just that he's not sinning, but he's actively doing. What's right. right. Yes. Yeah, because that flows out of his holiness. So righteousness, I think, is an extension of, or righteousness is an extension of holiness, or the holiness of God leads to the righteousness of God. And so, which might be one of these duh moments, but <laughs> the point is, anything God says, it's always right. Yeah. He's not going to say anything that's wrong. Anything God does, it'll always be the right thing to do. It'll mm-hmm. never be a mistake. Yeah. Anything God thinks will be right thoughts. Uh, any plan God sets in motion will be the right plan. Yeah. Not an error. Uh, anything God ordains as this is the way something should be, well, that's the way it's supposed to be because yeah. that's the only right choice. And that's something that uh, d- defines God. It also brings a tremendous assurance and confidence in God. Mm-hmm. Again, you go back to the mythologies and some of these other world religions, some of the things that that supposedly their God said to do is not been a good thing to yeah, do. Yeah, which I think even they knew that. Apparently, as like Greek culture went on into the like 200s and 300s, the common belief was like, all oh, this God stuff is like ridiculous. They just almost treated them like fables that they just sort of learned from. Which from good and bad character. Does that make sense? Right. They didn't worship them as this holy, righteous God. It's like, well, Zeus was an idiot. Let's not be like him, you know, but without even seeing it as real, maybe as they did hundreds and, and, of years before. And let's, let's just go there. Um, we have a Bible 
that we think is the inspired word of God, okay, and and we think it's right. Yeah. You know, you read what David said. The word, the law is pure. The law, the the word is right. It's he. You read the Psalms and David's revelation to us through the Holy Spirit is that the word of God is absolutely sure and solid. Mm-hmm. But it's because God is righteous. So it means, which then means that He's the only. Which I think we need to talk about this. If God is right and righteous, then that means. Right, that correct. <laughs> that he is the only true source of absolute right and wrong. Absolutely, his absolutely. See, absolutely. there you go. Absolutely, his his being, his essence, who he is. Right, that attribute that he is righteousness is the perfect standard for what is right and wrong. God is the standard. He is unchanging, which means throughout all times and cultures and situations, there is a right and there is a wrong because it's not found in abstract moral philosophy. It's found in he who is and has always been. Right, and I, I think we've touched on this before, but it's always good to touch on it again. The, the, the moral standard that God has in the Bible, and you can, you know, if you want to list the Ten Commandments is a mm-hmm. list God gave us. If you wanted even shorter lists, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors, you love yourself. There yeah. you go. You do those two things, and you'll treat God right, treat people right. But you take all through the Bible, there are commands. Um, those aren't arbitrary. God didn't sit in heaven and say, you know, I just think that you shouldn't take something from somebody else that belongs to them and say, I want this. This is going to be mine from now on. I don't care whether or not you bought it or worked mm-hmm. for it or made it. I want it. I'm going to, I just think I'm going to make, I think I'm going to call that stealing. <laughs> and we'll just make it wrong. And we're I'll just going to make it wrong. It wrong. Right. Cause. Okay. And <laughs> that's not how God did it. Yeah. Everything flows out of his holy nature. Yeah. So that's what you're saying is Absolutely. he sets the standard, mm-hmm. but not, not, Essentially or primarily mentally, that is that he is he is creating or manufacturing mentally manufacturing these moral Rules, codes. Yeah. But rather they're flowing out of his very nature. That's why sin is so bad, and that's why right and wrong is so serious. Yeah. And that's why Satan wants you to dumb it down or ignore it, or ignore the Bible or or, or ignore the code of God, because if he can get you to do that, then he gets you living a life in violation of not just a code, but of God. And when you're sinning, you're, you're departing from the very essence and nature of God. It is the most arrogant thing you can do because you're saying this way is okay, though it disagrees with the very being and nature and attribute of who God is. It's not just rebelling against an arbitrary rule. It's rebelling against who he is. So you go back to Adam and Eve, and it's interesting that on purpose, God created two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of good and evil, Mm -hmm. the knowledge of right and wrong. And he said, I'm going to put a tree here that you can eat of it. And the, the temptation, the attraction will be you will be able to know and ultimately set a standard for what's right and what's wrong. You'll, you'll be like me is what, what they thought. Well, that's like what God. Satan said. Yeah. The point is th- they already were like God 
So that was the one thing the devil told him that Eve missed. The second thing was they already had a source for right and wrong, and that was the creator. Yeah. So ultimately, it was a choice of, do you want me to be the source for your right and wrong? This is God speaking. Or do you want to set up your own source of right and wrong? And that's still what happens with people today. Yeah. When they rebel against God, the lie of Satan is, you make up your your moral code. Well, our code cuts a lot of slack, you know, and and lets us, what it does lets us sin. But God's moral code flows out of who he is. And ultimately that code, if lived according, if you live your life according to that code, you please him. And I would say too, maybe there are sins out there that you look at and you genuinely ask, why is that wrong? We hear this all the time. Um, you know, why is this sin wrong? Why is that sin wrong? It's easy to process murder, but why this? The reality is, is that there is an answer. There are people with answers, but even in wondering why is this wrong, we know God has made it out of his very essence and being and that it is just. And so even though you may not be able to process that all of the time, we by faith accept it because we know God to be just and we flow right along with that. Exactly. And I would say too, because of God's justice, it's not just the moral standard, but it's he is just in his dealings and that he, he acts always consistently with that moral standard. So those who sin rightly and justly receive the right and fair equal punishment that they deserve. And in the same way, those who are righteous and have faith in God and walk in him rightly and justly receive their just reward. That God isn't unfair or sneaky or he's not doing under the table business deals. Like and everything God does, it is it is done with just justice and fairness and equity. Yes, and that's a really good point. And I'm glad we kind of segue there because the Bible, he is called the righteous judge, capital R to capital J. He is yeah. the righteous judge. And it's exactly what you said. I'm not going to repeat you. you. You're right. What what His judgments are always right. Yeah. And so if God says something's wrong, stop arguing with him. It's wrong. Yeah. Because he is the standard. He set the standard. And he has judged, jury, and executioner. Yeah, he he, he's, he's the only person that can do that <laughs> right and righteously. Yeah. And so what we have to do is, is confess. Like when you get saved, confession is saying to the judge, I agree with you. Judge, I'm not here to argue with you and plead my case. I'm here to say I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm, I'm guilty. Guilty is charged because you're right. You're right. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say. I plead for mercy and grace. And and that's when you get salvation. But uh, yeah, his judgments are always correct. So I think that's that's yeah. something that somebody that I th- hopefully that'll help people to better understand God. Whatever happened in my printing, all of my scripture references went away. But uh, the scriptures say, "The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether." I just wanted to throw that scripture in there. Yeah. Those are the things we're getting that um, that from. So what does this mean for our life? We don't have to dwell on this because I feel like we, we hit this hard on holiness, but if God's righteous, that's something we can share in. And everything that you do, do it with justice and fairness and equity. And so that means, you know, that, that can really fall into everything. Parents, discipline your kids the same. Um, you know, if you're a teacher and you've got to discipline children in your room, 
do that the same. If you're a businessman, the way that you pay people, the way that you do business dealings with other people, the way that you treat customers, don't do it sketchy. Don't, you know, don't favor one person over the other, whatever. Do everything with, with justice and equity. Let's be right and true and fair. And then obviously with everything in morality, God's rules are right and true and good, and let's follow them. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a scripture that we were talking about it just the other day, and it got in my head, and I couldn't get it out of my head, and I can't, I'm trying to flip through my Bible, uh, oh yeah, it's Micah 6, 8, mm-hmm. he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Mm-hmm. But those first two is what you want to be like God, is you want to be just, you, you want to do the right thing mm-hmm. and treat people right. But there's also times you have to love mercy yeah. and you have to be merciful. I know we're going to, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit, but yeah. um, that's part of the judge can be merciful. Exactly. You know, when, so yeah, it's good stuff. I'd say too, when we think of God's justice, there are times where in this world, whether it's in your life personally, or maybe on a global scale that we, we convince ourselves that God is acting unjustly. And so maybe a national tragedy happens and somebody slips up. Maybe we find out in a, another country that there's just massive systemic you know, oppression and injustice. Or genocide. Like, or genocide. Yeah. Maybe somebody does you or your family wrong and the, the American justice system completely misses it. The company that should have fired them completely misses it, whatever it is. And it feels like justice is not certain. The government. Yeah, the government, whoever. <laughs> and, and, and so it feels like, Lord, you say you're just, but this person's off doing all this evil and getting away with it. Our hope is found in that God is a just God. And yes, there may be wicked people who have their time now, but at the end of days, right, there's a resurrection and it's for everybody. And there's going to be a resurrection of the righteous, but there's going to be a resurrection of the unrighteous. And everyone is going to get their their just desserts, what they deserve. Mm-hmm. And so we can trust that even though bad things may happen to ourselves and other people, God is true. God will follow through. And what will need to happen will happen. And we can trust in that. Yeah. And that also shows us, too, um, we shouldn't live in vengeance. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. And um, and so we need to trust in his justice that people may do us wrong, but it's not your job to give to get them back. Right. The Lord will take care of that if it needs to happen. Um, and, and so that is his justice. And then finally, God judges sinners righteously. If you're in sin, um, you are righteous. You, you, you are judged in the right way. God has given the opportunity to repent. He's given you everything that you need. He will judge you based on what you know. Um, you know, there is, the Paul says there is no excuse. And so when God judges sin, he does it righteously. And so there's no way we can kind of make something up or, well, this happened to me or that happened to me or that's why I live a life of sin. God judges, judges justly. And he also mercifully extends grace and mercy and forgiveness and everything that, like that for us. And we're talking about how these are transmitted or communicated. I think, and I know there's been, you know, depending on who, where your background is, there might be some, I don't know, maybe the Reformed. I'm, I'm not sure who. There's some that may differ with me. But um, I'm, my theology strong on this, and most a lot of people, their theology strong on this. 
when you're a sinner, the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags. Mm-hmm. So you really don't have any righteousness. If it is, it's unrighteousness. But when you come to God and are saved, there is the concept of the reckoning of God's righteousness to you and to your account. So God's righteousness is reckoned to your account. Your account's not like zero balance. It's in the negative. It's what we call imputed righteousness. Right, imputed righteousness. And so there is the imputation, not amputation. (laughs) There's the amputation of sin and the imputation of righteousness. You like that? I like that. Yeah, write that down. And so he amputates the sin and removes it from your life, but then he imputes righteousness. And so isn't this cool? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. So think about that. I don't just get righteousness. I get to be righteousness. Yeah. That I, I, I start becoming the righteousness of God, God's righteousness. So it's not like, okay, God saved me and now I have Chris righteousness. <laughs> I have my own little standard of righteousness. Yeah. It's no, I, I'm in this transformative process daily and sometimes I don't get it right, but God's working on me that to make me that I'm right, that I'm living right, talking right, walking right, you know, praying right, shouting right, all that kind of stuff. You say is because of of being in Christ. What I, what I tend to say, and I know some disagree, but I think that the scriptures attest to it that what God imputes, He imparts, and so He calls me righteous, and may, maybe a more we'd call that a forensic way, right? Maybe mm-hmm. not exactly what I am but he imparts it and forms me and shapes me into that reality as well. Right. He doesn't want to just give me a righteous name but leave me in my sin. He takes me into actually becoming righteous in the same yeah, way. Yeah, I live right. Yeah. So, you know, you just break it down. I live right. Exactly. You Christians Simple live right. That. Y'all don't always live right. I know sometimes we get it wrong, but 99.9% of the time, yeah, we live right. Yep. Well, why do y'all live right? Well, there are a lot of reasons. We don't have time to do all that. But one of them is because the God we serve is right, and he's called us to hold in standard. He's called us to righteousness. So, exactly. Yeah, I like to say that Jesus became sin so I could become right. That's good. That's what Paul said. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff, rich stuff there. Well, let's move on to um, to the next thing that, um, like, like we said at the beginning, it all is kind of tied in and very similar. Um, let's talk about the goodness of God, the goodness of God. Um, this has got a kind of a, a bit more of a particular definition. So here's how I said it. That the goodness of God is God's benevolent concern for his creatures. That God benevolently provides for all of his creatures, whether they're an animal, whether they're a sinner, or whether they're a saint. God cares for them. He provides for them. You know, just to use the definition, he is good to them. Um, and, and it makes me think of that scripture, you know, if, if even evil fathers give good gifts to their children, won't God give his children good gifts? And that's specifically directed towards Christians, but God is has a benevolent concern. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of see it almost in a parental way that God is a benevolent father, that he's got care like a mother, not that God is mother, but you know, he's got that tender care for us, um, that he disciplines us and in everything he does, he does it for our good. Um, 
you know, we, we think about, uh, Paul says, and we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That God is good. God is good to all people. It says, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That God makes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust, rain to fall for the just and the unjust. God is just benevolently, lovingly, tenderly caring for all of his creation. Would you say that that's God's goodness? Yeah, exactly. And I think benevolence is the best word for it is, is that, you know, obviously we know he's morally good. I think there's two, two sides mm-hmm. of this. There's the, he, I kind of use, so maybe if it'll help our listeners, if you talk about the moral goodness of God, we've already talked about his holiness and righteousness. So all these are connected. They're, yeah. they're interconnected. But um, it, it's, it's so the moral goodness would be the, his essence of goodness. Yeah. I'm going to use that. But you also talk about his benevolence, which is his acts of goodness. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of for me how I break this down mm-hmm. is that God by nature is morally good. Yes. But then because he is good, then – he does good things. Yeah. And so he can't help but act in goodness. And and I think it's great, you know, the scriptures you're reading is saying he's just not good to his children. I think he's especially good to his children. Absolutely, yeah. But he is good to all of his creation because he loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So yeah. not only does he give rain and sun and 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 blessings on mankind in general— because we are his his creation, even though many of us aren't you know us, but humanity are in sin. But um, he he's gave his son for everybody. Yeah, that was an act of the goodness of God, and so I think that's something that helps us to see um, his good. Now, is he is he you can say better to his children? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Probst who used to be our administrative bishop, had a little saying. It's not original with him, but it was one of his sayings, and I liked it. He said, the favor of God ain't fair. <laughs> I hear that all the time. Favor ain't fair. Favor ain't fair. <laughs> and I think that's what, he, that, yeah. what they're talking about is, you know, somebody might, center might say, well, how come you got this? Or how much? And you just, you know, you're in your mind, you're going, it's nothing I did. It's just God's favor. Yeah. God gave me favor. And I think that's true for everybody. You, I mean, like, find anybody that's a father or a mother, you can be good to all kinds of people. Everybody that you meet, the cashier at the store, you can do good in your community. But the way that you treat, you know, random Joe down the street and the way you treat your actual kid, of course, is going to be different. It doesn't make you any less good, but it's just about that special relationship. And so I would say specifically for those who are Christians, know that you don't just serve a good creator, right, in the general sense that all of creation sees him as creator, but you have a good father, which is specific only to his children. And so you've been adopted into the family of God. You have been made a son or a daughter of God. And just as parents do specific good things for their kids, God is right there with with you, specifically working good for your life. And that's why Paul says, you know, he works all things together for good, all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's for those who love God that he's working things out so that you can grow in his image, which if you're not repentant and living under his authority, God 
won't do that good to you because you've rejected it anyway. And we're bouncing all over the map here. This is fun. It's like a ping pong ball. <laughs> just ping, 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 ping. But just like go back. Um, we use the word good a lot. Mm-hmm. And she's a good lady. He's a good man. My daddy was a good man. This is a good meal. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> meal. But when we talk about people, we talk about, but you know, you go back to that story where Jesus had the rich young ruler and he said, good teacher. Yeah. What must I do? And Jesus looked at him and said, why do you call me good? Because there is none good but one. Yeah. Now, if you don't really dig into that, you're going to go, well, wait a minute. Jesus was supposed to be God, so are you telling me that he was saying only the Father's good, but he was not good? How can that be if he's the Son of God and they're they're one in essence, power, and glory? No. When he said, why do you call me good, it wasn't questioning his own goodness. He was questioning the motivation of the the young man. Man, yeah. So why are you calling me good? Are you just are you are you flattering me? Are you I, you don't believe I'm God? Right. So why are you calling me? Well, good? that's the question: is why are you calling <laughs> me good? Do you because there's only one person that's yeah. good, and that's God. So are you calling me good because you believe I'm God? Yeah. Or are you just throwing that term around? And so there's none good but one. Evan, I think we throw that word around a lot, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Good, good is a word that's very common in our vocabulary. Like you said, that's a that was a good meal or yeah. whatever. But but the reality is, we think we're good, and you have sinners will say, "Well, I'm a good person." They'll say that a lot. Well, I'm a good person. Yeah. Okay. But the reason why this attribute is so important is. Jesus made it clear in that statement, in that conversation, that there is only one person who is good, yeah, and that's God. So if you have any goodness about you, it has to be transmitted to you through God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just think that's a really important point to think, God, make me a good person, but make me good because I'm in the image of Jesus. And goodness is higher than what we typically think of goodness to be. So if we want to talk about benevolence, it's God benevolently giving his son to die for the world. God benevolently, benevolent, that's a really hard word to say. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, benevolent, Gi- <laughs> benevolently. Giving his, his son Ooh. to become incarnate, to humble himself. Um, that is the standard of goodness. When so often we think I'm a good person is I'm generally not a jerk. I'm nice to the waitress at the restaurant. Yep. I don't treat my spouse that bad, and you know I give some money to charity every year. That we think being good is just not being a complete jerk when God's goodness is actually uh, an infinite standard of love and benevolence and giving and care and affection and taking care of you. Um, like well, the best parent in the world. That ultimately reflects God. It yeah. makes people, my goodness makes people think about God. Jesus said that they may see your good works yeah. and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Something about it makes me think it's about other Jesus. It's otherworldly. Like your general, finger quotes, goodness doesn't impress or strike anyone as different. But Christian goodness you look at that, and it's almost like you're a fish out of water. Right. It's so completely And it different. makes people think about God. Yeah. yeah. And then, by the way, goodness is one of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, that's right. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness. And so it is a work of the Holy Spirit inside a believer that when it becomes a reflection of God's goodness. Yeah. That's good. And so for us, how can we respond to this? Um, 
before we get to that communicating to us just in the way that we relate to God, we can trust that God is our good provider and that he works everything for our good. And so what God is doing in you right now, I guess this is his communication, God is communicating his goodness to you and he is always good. He's working together for your good. And sometimes it's really Really hard to see that. Um, does he discipline his children? Yes. The Bible says he disciplines those who he loves. Is it because he hates you? No, because he loves you and he's being good to you because it's going to make you good and make you better. Does he allow us allow us to go through suffering sometimes? He does, and it's painful. It's suffering. Is it because God isn't good? No, it's because he is good and he's working it for you for your good. It's going to make you better. Hey, does he bless you? Absolutely. He gives good gifts to his children in all kinds of ways. We're not just talking about stuff, but in all kinds of ways. Why? Because he's good. I guess I guess what I'm saying is that life is so crazy. It's so unpredictable. There's such a mixture of, we'll use this term loosely, good and bad in our life that we need to be able to filter everything in our lives that says, God is good. That's my standard. That's my lens. And everything that's happening to me, he's producing good in me and be at rest and who God is. Right. And we're not going to do this today. I can't remember with 32 episodes. I'm not right now remembering every episode, (laughs) but this is where people say, how can a good God let evil evil and bad things happen to people in the world? But that's why they're almost banking on the goodness of God to mean that nothing bad will ever happen. Well, yeah. the, the badness, because God is good, the badness doesn't have anything to do with God. The badness has to do with the devil, evil people, bad people. Yeah, and and the reality is, is the question that we need to ask is, does God have a good reason, or could God have a good reason for letting bad happen? And absolutely, some of the most painful times in our lives are the most formative. And you can ask anybody and they would go, I'm so glad X happened to me, even though it was a terrible time, because it produced in me Y. It made me who I am today, and And God is the same thing. And I just opened a can of worms. We'll close close that up and bring that back back another time. We'll come back later. (laughs) Um, Here's another thing that we should be good and be good to everything. God is good to his whole creation, animal, sinner, saint, everybody. And so I think we should also be good to God's creation. I think this is where we should steward the world good. And this is where we should treat animals and pets and farm animals and whatever else good, um, that we should be humane, which is really, we should be godly. Wait a minute. Even cats, even cats, even though they're the worst. (laughs) Okay. So this is, this is things like, Hey, God's given us meat to eat, but you don't have to force the animals to suffer and be in terrible conditions and all, you know, the, you know, the different things like that. Hey, we're going to use creation. We need trees. We need wood. We need resources, but we're not going to go so far that we're just destructive and evil and whatever. Like, just don't be a jerk. <laughs> it's as simple as that. God's given it to us for resources. Let's use it. Thank God for it. But just don't be bad with it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally steward that well and 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 be good for that. Um, God is good and that he gives us sufficient grace to the world for us to turn to him. God wants the best for the world. And so we can trust um, for maybe your unsaved friends. God's not holding anything back from them. 
and and they can come to know him. And then finally, you know, we're just called to be good in the way that we treat people, that we are supposed to be good to our enemies, forgive them, love them, bless them. Let's be good to our children and our family and our coworkers. Let's be good in every single thing that we do. Um, we should be good in sharing the gospel. The the goodest thing that we can do, that's not a real goodest. word, is uh, give people the, the gift of eternal life and tell them, tell them about who God is. Just filter every decision we make. And is this for the good of my neighbor, for the good of the world? Good stuff. Thank you. That was that it was good stuff. Finally, we've got Ba-dum. truth. We have made it to truth. We'll try and knock this one out kind of fast. We've just had so much good stuff on this episode. Um, so here's what we mean when we say God is true. Um, this is a little bit of a list, but just keep up with me. To say that God is true is to say that he is consistent with himself, that he is all that he should be as God, that he has revealed himself as he really and truly is, and that he and his revelation are completely reliable. So here's what I mean. God is consistent with himself. He never does, you know, says one thing and then does another. Um, he doesn't do two actions that um, don't go together, that fight one another, you know, or anything like that. He's all that he should be. Um, he is God, right? And so to be a to be God, you have to meet certain standards, and he is exactly that. He is truly God. Um, he is, as he has revealed himself to be, God hasn't told us in his word that he is just and righteous and then actually unjust and unrighteous, and that he and his revelation are completely reliable. Every single thing that God says is true. And uh, so that's kind of my list for God's truth. A lot of it has to do with consistency in who he is, what he does, and what he says. Did you say that that's true? Yes, I think so. Truth. And then what I'm going to do is you do this. I'm just going to piggyback on you is that the, the, the communicableness of this is if you're a believer, you should be consistent. Yeah. You should be uh, not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a role player. Yeah. And so when you act like or say one thing and then you do the other, so you act like you're say, but you do the other, you act like you're this, but the that's hypocritical, and God wants consistency. So I think part of that transmission is that there is a genuineness or authenticity. And and I know the people that I know that really love Jesus and have been saved and are striving every day by the power of the Holy Spirit to live for God are real people. Yeah. They are. They're consistent. And um, I have problems with people— that are duplicitous, that you never know where they stand. You, 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 they act one way around one person or group of people, and then they'll act different around you. It's hard for they me tell to tell you what you want to hear. Tell you what you want to hear. It's just those kind of people, it's hard to have confidence and trust in them. Yeah. And so I say that to say because of the consistency of God, I can have absolute confidence and trust in him, but I also want to be the kind of person that, and again, we all fail. We're not God. But even when we say, I'm sorry, and we repent, and then we strive then and are transformed, that in itself is a testimony yeah. that we're real. Yeah. You know, we're real, and I'm genuine, and I'm learning for this, and I'm growing, and I'm trying to live a consistent life every day. So I think that's where 
where God is consistent with himself, we need to be consistent with ourselves. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say uh, along with truth, when you wear the title, just as God wears the title God, that means something and he has to live up to it, right? So to be God, you have to be eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, blah, 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 blah. We, he lives up to it. He, he's not a hypocrite. I would say in the same way when we claim that we're Christians, um, that doesn't mean whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> that has a, an objective, real definition. And so when we wear the badge, um, I'm a Christian, there's a meaning to that. And so we're called to a higher standard and to live in that truth and consistency in what it actually means. We're not talking about legalistic perfection, but we are talking about actually living up to it. And that if I'm going to tell the world I'm a Christian, something has to shift. I've got to look at a standard and say, I'm going to do everything I can to walk in consistency and truth. Well, and then, if I could just plead with you real quick, if you're honest with yourself and you put Christian in everything, but you know, like you don't really care, you don't really live for God, you don't really go to church, it's just kind of like a little badge or whatever. Please stop. 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 The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 5, right? They had a dude who's really sinful and wasn't living it up. And he's like, look, you're going to have to kick him out and don't have a whole lot to do with him because when you wear the name Christian and you don't live up to it, it it slanders the name Christian and the name of Christ. I beg you, just get rid of it. Yeah, <laughs> live up it. to the standard. It kills your witness. <laughs> it kills your testimony. And I'll tell you what, it hinders the gospel. It hinders it the does. spread of the gospel. Uh, this is anecdotal, but your brother and I were talking not too long ago about a, a person that he and I both know, and um, your brother was getting to, I guess, essentially witness to him. This subject came up, and so he he was witness, which was great. And he, this man, who is not a Christian, brought up the fact that he knows people through his business that claim to be Christians, but they do not live it. And isn't that something that he's not a Christian, but he has enough understanding of what it means to be a Christian that says, you're supposed to be consistent. You're supposed to be real. These people are not. Yeah. And so your brother had to say, well, you're right. They're, they do that. There are people that play games and play church and, and, it, and, you know, we live down here in the South and the Bible belt and you get a lot of that. Yeah. You know, where in other parts of the country, you either saved or you're not. And so he was trying to tell him, but there are people who really do, mm-hmm. you know, and they do live for God and they strive and they are consistent and they are real. So it's, it's an important attribute that we need to yeah. have received from God. Um, you know, you talk about the consistency. I think you talk about, and this is a, this is a theological word is his veracity. Ooh, explain that. Well, what God says is accurate. Yeah. So the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Mm-hmm. So that's why you can trust again, the Bible because what he's let God be true and every man a liar. Yeah, the Bible says. So uh, you want to relate that? Then if God is accurate in what He says and He always tells the truth, yeah. Then what should happen to a person who's been redeemed is we should be accurate, yeah, in what we say and always tell the truth. And so that means um, don't stretch the truth and <laughs> speak evangelistically, <laughs> as we say, our little joke and 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 exaggerate, yeah, and make. Tell fish stories. You tell a fish story, the fish just gets bigger and bigger and bigger every, every time. time you tell it. But but be consistent yeah. in, in, in what you say. You want to be dependable. You want to be reliable with as far as um, uh, your words. And, yeah. and, uh, because then that builds confidence yep. in you. 
And I would say too, when we look at God's word, when we know that God is true and he is truth, then when the Bible seems to contradict itself, we don't say, well, there's a contradiction, peace out, we can't trust the Bible. We say, hold up, hold up, hold up, God is true. There's nothing he will ever put out, stamp his name on that could ever contradict. And so we know there's an answer and we're going to work this out. Because I think sometimes we go, well, why does one person say this and one person say this? Or why do these seem like they don't go together? Um, when in reality, God is true. And we can say confidently, too, after 2,000 years of church history, somebody's got an answer. But in the meantime, while you're searching that out, just slow down and say, hey, there is an answer. Because God is true and can't contradict himself. We're going to work this thing out. Right. Um, and and so we know that we can trust God's word, even when it's difficult to understand. That's exactly right. But um, yeah, I mean, and finally, I would say be reliable in all of our commitments. Um, Jesus tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? We don't swear I'm going to do something or promise I'm going to do something because to swear or promise is to say, well, usually I would be unreliable and may go back on my word, but this time I'm not. Let's really emphasize that. Um, When in reality, we should be people that when we say, I'll be there, I'll do it. We have every single intention of actually following through on that. And we know sometimes life comes up, things happen. We're not, you know, we're talking about that your full heart and intention and reality and the way you live is when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I put on, I, I term it like this. Don't renege yeah. on promises and don't overpromise and then underperform. Yeah. But if you say you're going to do something, keep your word and and do it because that's how God is. God is reliable. God is dependable. So if we use these terms, uh, we've, we're talking with truth. The truth about God is that he, there's the consistency of God, the veracity of God, and the faithfulness of God. Ooh. And so that's what we're talking about. You like that? <laughs> that was good. Okay. That was hot. So the that faithfulness of God is he's reliable. He's dependable. Uh, somebody said God can do anything but one, and that's fail. That's good. So he can't fail you, and so he keeps his promises. And so yeah. we want to try to do the same thing is is keep our word. And let's just touch on that, Just and then we, we need to end this podcast. But the whole, I swear, I swear to God. Yeah. I swear. I swear, I'll tell you. I'm telling you, I swear that, the, and I, oh, God, I hear that all the time. People just swearing, and I'm like, you don't have to swear to me, yeah. especially if people are born again. I'm like, you're born again, I expect nothing less than for you to tell me the truth, but you're right. People say, and it's a habit. It's it, yeah, it's not it's like learned behavior meaning in this deep, well thought out way. But no, yeah. but it's learned behavior. Yep. One and number two, it's an, an emphasis to try to convince you that what they're saying is reliable. Yeah, but the problem is, it's what you just said. You hit the nail on the head. Is if I'm swearing, then it's like you're already admitting that I can doubt you yeah, and I, I want to eliminate the doubt and I'm going to swear to God. And yeah. Jesus said, don't do that. If you're born again, don't do that. So if you're, if you have that habit, break that habit and, and just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And what that means is whatever I say, I mean, it's the truth. Yeah. Okay. So you either believe it or you don't. And, and I've had people say, you, you really mean that? And I'd say, Yes. I'm not going to swear <laughs> yeah. to God. I say, yeah, what I say is true. Now, you either accept it or you don't. Yep. And that's how a believer is supposed to be. If I said it, it's the truth. Yeah. And I would say finally on that 
on that phrase, I swear to God, I know it's a learned behavior, but pump the brakes, break down the sentence, listen to the words you're saying. I swear to God, I'm going to do this thing. This thing happened. I'll follow through. And let's just be clear. The moment you inevitably screw that up at some point in your life, you have swore and committed yourself not to something small, to God. You violated an oath. And you broke an oath. You it's broke oath a commitment to God. to God. And the Bible <laughs> said it is better not to make it an yes. oath than to make an oath and break and it. Break it. I would be, I understand what you're doing. I know you picked it up, but words matter. Words have meaning. Just, you don't have to do that. Just don't. Just, just don't. No, here's it's what not you, worth it. Nope. And here's what you do. You, through a pattern of consistency, just tell the truth all the time. And what will happen is you will have a reputation, a godly reputation, that when you say something, I can count on it. Yeah. I don't have to doubt it because you always tell the truth. That's what Jesus is saying he expects out of us because that ultimately reflects the character of God. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I think this has been a fantastic episode. Me too. Um, we are going to be concluding um, our moral attributes of God in our next episode. So make sure that uh, you, you catch that and make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. That way that episode is automatically shows up in your podcast feed when it releases. Um, go ahead and leave us a rate, review, share this podcast with everybody that needs it. And we just want to say thank you so much again for tuning in and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.